0: All right, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, this tonight is, kind of serves as our, what would traditionally be our Christmas day service, we are doing this uh, this evening, because some of you have to work tomorrow, and we wanted to accommodate as many people as possible, I almost feel like we're doing something wrong because it's not on Christmas but I will be here tomorrow obviously for a couple of hours doing as much live broadcasting as I can because if I don't I'll feel like I'll be committing some horrible sin. So it it doesn't feel doesn't feel like our Christmas service because it's not on Christmas so it feels weird. Obviously it doesn't feel like Christmas because it's 97 degrees outside. I don't know so only 87, okay? So it it doesn't feel Christmas in that way. It just well, it doesn't feel like Christmas. And as I was thinking about the weather and just how it just doesn't really feel like Christmas, um, I started thinking that that's going to fit perfectly in what we're going to try to do this evening. All right. So for the Bible study exercise this week, it's all been Luke chapter two. And so I'm going to, I'm going to take the same passage um, that we've been studying all week, and I'm going to use it for this purpose. But what I'm going to try to do is really destroy the concept of what supposedly Christmas is supposed to feel like. Now you know that, you've heard me say this a million times, that one of the worst things that ever happened in Christianity, at least here in the United States of America, was for Christmas to become... A federal holiday. Now, I know whenever I say that, Christians lose their minds because if, if they try to remove Christmas from being a federal holiday, Christians would scream that we're being persecuted by the liberal elites and we're all going to FEMA camps, we're all going to die, and it's the end of the world. I would celebrate it. I would support removing it as a federal holiday immediately. I would go to Washington myself and say, yes, remove it. Because the minute it became a federal holiday, what happened? What happened? What happened is the world come rushing in going, oh, a holiday, a holiday, a holiday. And they have all of their ideas of what it is supposed to be. And so much of what the world says Christmas is supposed to be is it's always described as a feeling. What does Christmas supposed to feel like, right? And it's about that Christmas spirit. Have you heard that phrase? The Christmas spirit. And it's it's some kind of warm feeling, a sense of contentment, a sense of peace, whatever the case may be, it's there. And then they bring in all of their other concepts, obviously, all of the gift giving, family, food, travel, and 25 billion, you know, Hallmark Christmas movies that people binge watch. And it brings in all of these ideas. And as a Christian, and even, and, and let's just be honest, even the church no matter how much it tries to resist it and says no, we're not going to get our ideas from the world. The church almost feels like whoa, we've got to accommodate this feeling, right? So we have to do like maybe a, a, a candlelight service, and we've got to we got to create the mood, we got to lower the lights, we got to give everyone this like magical feeling because if people don't leave with that feeling, they're going to feel like it wasn't Christmas. It's all about a feeling. So as a Christian, you need to realize this weird place we find ourselves, right? Okay, on one side, there's the world, there's their idea of Christmas. No matter what you say, you've been influenced by it. Now, you, can, you can deny it all day, when Christmas is over, you either have a feeling what that felt like Christmas, it did, and a lot of it's based off all of these ideas of what it's supposed to be. So you're influenced by that. On the other hand, there's a part of you going, but Christmas is about the incarnation of the eternal Son of God. You know all the right answers because you've been in church and you can, you know, pass the Awana test. You're, you're, you're doing all the, you can, you can say all the right words, right? And then all of a sudden you wake up, Christmas is over, and you look back and you're like, well, wait a minute. Did I really make it about Jesus? I mean, I, I think I tried, but I mean, okay, we bought a bunch of gifts. We ate a lot of food. We did this, we did that. We spent time with family, but where was Jesus in all of it? You know, maybe he's, you know, un- under the wrapping paper. We don't know. I mean, we all, and we feel bad. We may feel a little guilty for that. So we're like, as Christians, we're caught in, we've got the world telling us what it's like. Even the church tries to accommodate that feeling. We want to make it about Jesus. And before we know it's over, and we sometimes we didn't get the, the, the feeling that the world told us to have, and we didn't make it about Jesus. And sometimes it walks away and you're just like, well, I'm glad that's over this year. You know, and you either feel guilty, maybe you don't feel guilty. I don't know what you feel, but in many cases, I think all of this pressure of what it's supposed to feel like is why for many, Christmas is a horrible time. It's depressing, a lot of suicide attempts. It's for some people, because it just can never be what everyone tells you it's supposed to be. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Luke chapter 2, which is quote, unquote, the Christmas story. And we're just going to look at what actually occurred And see what we can pull from it. Because I think in many cases, it destroys, or put it this way. And I know I'm not supposed to do this. In some ways, I want to take that whole idea of what it's supposed to feel like. And I want to absolutely and totally destroy it, burn it down, and throw it in the trash can. I know like, whoa, that's not what you're supposed to do. Because that's, you know, you're being the Grinch and you're being, no, no. Because I think no matter how much, whatever we think, I think so much of what we do as Christians, when Christmas is over, we play. We can play all the games we want. It's very little about Jesus. It's about us. It's about feelings. It's about family. It's about food. And great, if you love all of that, just don't pretend that made it, you made it about Jesus. So I'm just going to go through the story in Luke 2 and just try to destroy some of that those concepts. So does that make sense? So Luke chapter 2, this week, it's all been about Luke chapter 2 verses 1 through 20. There's been all kinds of great conversations. People have sent outlines. It's been a wonderful week of discussion. But um, so I can't go through everything. I know as soon as I say that, I'm going to start trying to walk through the text. I'm going to use this more to try to, I, and because I'll feel like I'm, I'm doing it wrong if I don't go verse by verse, but we're, we'll walk, walk through this. Everybody ready? All right, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it came to pass in the, those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. So let me stop right here. The first thing I'm going to do before I walk through this in a more of a devotional way is I'm going to at least point out two major issues with the text, we just read one. right? We had a major historical issue here that causes lots of controversy. All right? So what do we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 1? I'll just at least mention this one. I don't have time to go through all of the solutions to this, but let me just read it again. And it came to pass, in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed and everyone into his own city. Here's the problem. We've got, there's some historical records, I think even from just Josephus going, wait a minute. Cyrenius wasn't, there was a different taxation, so Cyrenius couldn't have been there for that taxation, so the historical record doesn't match Luke, so Luke is wrong, so the Bible's not true. Basically, and I'm, I'm over, over, oversimplifying it, but that's basically how it goes, right? So there's a lot of cr- critique going, so why did Luke get, get this fact wrong? I'm going to simplify the solution as easy as I can. It appears that Serenius ruled two different times and there were two different taxations and he was ruling at both times, all right. And Serenius is also known by another name. All right, which some may also uh, contribute to some of the problems. I'll spell So you got Serenius, everybody see his name right there in Luke chapter 2. Here's the other name that he's also known by. You ready? Q U I R I N I U S. Quirinius. Q U I R-I-N-I-U-S. Okay, that's the uh, that's the, one the NIV uses. There you go. All right. Serenius or Quirinius? All right now. Uh, some call it a census, some call it a text, right? So th- we can get into discussion there as well. Just just from one source, just so that you see this. There is no historical mistake. In Luke chapter two, verses one through two, Serenius reigned as governor of Syria Syria twice. Luke 2 refers to a census during his first term, which would have been between 6 to 4 BC. Serenius served another term, approximately 6 to 9 AD, and with a second census taken. They think that's the one mentioned in Acts chapter 5, just so that you know, all right? So there's a little bit of dispute there. I mean, I could, look, we could spend, we could spend all We could have spent all week talking about it. Those in the Bible study exercise, there was discussion, lots of articles shared. So we think we, I think everyone was was happy with it. I just don't have time to go through it now. But I just want you to at least to be aware of that problem. Okay, everybody aware of that problem? Okay, uh, the dates, the first census or taxation would have been between 6 and 4 B.C. Then he served another term and that would have been between 6 and 9 A.D. We think the first one is the one that's being recorded here in Luke 2. And that the second one possibly is referenced in Acts 5. Okay. Does that make sense? I know you're like, ooh, I needed to know that. Well, you do need to know that because you have to, if someone calls in a question, you have to know that there's a possible answer. Okay? And uh, part of the answer, if I remember correctly, they di- there was an archaeological discovery. I don't remember what year it happened. And I think that's when they started going, wait a minute. Someone ruled twice, and they think the archaeological discovery I think helped fix this, and I could go into more details. But okay, any questions there? All right. What's the second problem in the text? The second now the first so let me go through this. The first problem in the text is a problem from history. The second problem is a problem because of the church. Because Christianity has a way of messing everything up. So let me, now I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because I'm going to get very practical here and that's where I may do a little kicking the pulpit and screaming. Okay, all right, I'll try not to because it's, it's Christmas Eve. It's supposed to be a nice, cute little sermon, right? I'm supposed to be done in about 15 minutes. Okay, all right. Okay, okay, you need the feeling. You're not going to get the feeling. All right, here we go. This, we, on, for Christmas, we have the world comes in and they say, this is what it's supposed to be like. And then the church comes along and... I don't know why the church does it. We get these historical narratives. We get these stories. And we come along with our own paintbrushes. And we paint over the story to make it, I don't know, appealing. I don't know what we do. We, we feel like we always have to add to it, right? So a lot of times at Christmas time, you, just preaching the text, that's not going to get that feeling, right? Yeah, that's not good. so. What will we'll help get that feeling? Oh, get the kids together and do it, and act out the Christmas story. That'll get the feeling, right? Oh, look how cute! Look how cute! And then everybody can grab their phones, take some pictures, and go. Oh, look, Grandma! Look, my, look. Levi was Joseph, isn't that cute? And everybody loves that kind of stuff. Whatever. Okay. In many cases, it utterly, absolutely destroys the actual Christmas story and turns it into some kind of I don't know, atrocity. But nobody cares. Right? Because it's cute. If it's cute, who cares if we add or take away from God's word? Right now, the, the show that a bazillion people are watching and, and sold a bazillion tickets at movie theaters, is The Chosen. I don't know how many emails I get. Have you seen The Chosen? Have you seen The Chosen? It's the greatest thing in the history of mankind. It tells the story of Jesus. And I, I, I always want to kind of respond by, I, I have read the story a bunch of times. So it may be a great TV show, but has it added or subtracted from the story? How, how much can you add? How much can you subtract to make a good TV show before you've done something wrong to the Bible? People don't care if you add all kinds of cute little things to the Christmas story as long as kids are up on the stage. But if I was to stand and preach it and start adding to it, then all of a sudden people would get upset. Well, why, why, why do we have these double standards? Right? We've got the text, right? Well, there's a part here in Luke 2, that oh, I, I don't even know what to say. I, it just drives me crazy. Here we go. We got to read it. Luke chapter two. You all know it. All right. So we got the, the historical problem, right? So Joseph went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his spouse wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there is the next issue. Everyone treats this concept in a way that has nothing to do with history or even the Bible. First of all, there's a good argument that that should not be translated in. That should be translated. No room in the. There was no room in the guest room. We think of an inn. What do we think of? A motel. So this is the way we tell. The, in fact, I I did this week. I played from a Christian podcast where they did their whole episode. What we can learn from the innkeeper. I didn't even know he was mentioned in the Bible, right? But well, hey, so we get to. So I've heard all of these drama t- where they dramatize the story, and you have the innkeeper. I'm like, where does the innkeeper show up there? It just says there was no room in the inn. So let me explain what this possibly was. First, the, the, the inn, there's two kinds of inns probably mentioned. There's two different Greek words for kinds of inns. I can't go through all of this. All of this is on all the podcasts this week, but I'll go. I'll just go through it quickly. One kind of inn is think of it as a roadside rest stop, right? There wasn't like an innkeeper there going, look, lady, I don't care if you're pregnant. Got no room for you. Go on down the road. And that's probably how they talk back then, you know, like they were from Texas or something. But okay, but that's not that's not what this was. It was basically a wall with like a, a cover and a raised floor. And there's no one and there's no innkeeper. You pulled in and if there was a place, you had a place. If there wasn't a place, you didn't have the place. And if you had stayed there when you left, you were to leave like some food or water. That's kind of like, quote unquote, your payment. And you just moved on. So if that was the place, they pulled, well, not only that, the text seems to imply they were already there. It's not like, oh no, no, no. She's about to go into labor. Hurry, hurry, hurry. It says when they were there. So most likely they were already there and then they were looking for a place for her to deliver. Whatever the case may be, this end would have been just a kind of a roadside rest stop and so possibly what happened, there was no place for them and where the animals were kept for the people staying, that's probably where they went. It could have been for a lot of reasons. No, no place for them could mean there was no place suitable to have a child. Right? I would think the women would understand that if you're at a road rest stop and there's a bunch of people there, hey, I'm just going to have the baby right here in front of everybody. Pull out your phones and, you know, put it on YouTube. You probably would be like, I would like a place of some privacy, right? So that's possibly one idea. A second idea is the guest room refers to the idea that in many cases in this culture, the houses had basically two floors. The first floor is where all the family would have been staying. This could have been they were there with family, but there was no suitable place up there to have a baby, or there may not have been any room. On the lower floor of the house... Guess what was there? The animals. They kept them someplace safe to protect the animals. That would have been a private, secure, safe place to have the baby. And it didn't mean that there was some mean innkeeper up there going, I got no room for you! Right? That's not... We turned that into a story. All of that. I cannot express to you how much of the Christmas story has been hijacked, corrupted, and polluted with not only the world, the church can't even get the story right. Now, I took a lot, way too much time doing all of that, but now we're going to go through Luke 2. I'm not going to be able to do all of the cross-referencing here and looking up all the text, but I'm just going to walk through Luke 2 and just show you what, what some of the things that are here that it doesn't show up in a Hallmark movie. Okay? Because it's very different. Everybody ready? All right, let's go to Luke chapter 2. Let's start back at the beginning. All right, so what are the two problems? A historical problem, right? And then the whole problem, the church has basically created a story about an innkeeper, which probably does not exist and doesn't reflect the story. And even if it does, even if you say there was no room in the inn, you're making all kinds of assumptions about the story. You see, that's what we have a tendency to do. We start painting it, and that's adding to God's word, and nobody seems to care. Well, if if you can add that, why don't you just add all kinds of other stuff, right? It's weird. If someone else adds something to the story, they're like, how dare you? The Bible doesn't say that, and well, well, they can look at you and go, how dare you add all the garbage you add? Either you go with God's word or you don't go with God's word, all right? Does that make sense? Okay, so here we go. You ready? We're going to walk through there, and here's some just things I'm going to pull from the text. All right, number number one. Okay, Luke chapter two. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife. All right. Here's the first thing we get in the Christmas story, though it's never discussed. What's the first thing we see here in this text? We see taxes. I'm going to put this down. You ready? Responsibility to authority. Nobody likes that part of the story. What kind of government is it? Is that a godly government? No, it's a pagan government. Right? They just gave a decree. They have to travel far distance to be taxed. And guess what Joseph did? No, he created a protest and. No, okay, no. He went. He obeyed the authority. The Christmas story takes place in the context of two individuals being put in a very difficult situation to do something that, look, in one of those taxations, I don't remember which one, I think maybe in the second one, the Jews revolted, right? They they, they rebelled, okay? So in other words, there was a lot, no, not anyone wanted to do this. They didn't like this. They didn't like, remember, how did they feel about tax collectors? They hated them. Hey, hey, hey. So But they didn't like it. So I just think it's wonderful that the story takes place in that context, a decree goes out, and they have to obey. And you're Christian I cannot express this enough. Christianity is, makes it, it, it ta- destroys those hallmark feelings, because Christianity calls for something that not any of us like. Nobody in this room, then maybe there's one of you. But there's, I doubt there's anyone in this room who likes to submit and obey authority. Maybe you do, but most of us don't. In fact, if we're told what to do, we almost pick to do the opposite, right? And so just think about the Bible and authority. I wanted to look at all these up. We're clearly told to, uh, to uh, submit to civil authority, right? Uh, Romans chapter 13, I know, I know, since the pandemic started, Romans 13 no longer applies. I know that. It no longer, someone sent me an email, I guess maybe it was their church, maybe it was their church. They just learned that Romans 13 is not about submitting to the government, it's about submitting to your church. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Yeah. The church doesn't bear the sword in vain. Yeah, that's absolutely ridiculous and insanity right? but that's how far we'll go we, we we're supposed to obey authority wait wait we're in the middle of a pandemic and they're telling you oh no 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 no, no. I'm going to stand my ground I'm going to fight it out oh no 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 how dare I'm not going to give in to any liberals like what in the world happened to Christianity right that's not that's not nobody likes it does the government sometimes give us something you don't like yes you say, well, there's, there's, and I know what everyone always says, but, 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 we don't always have to obey. When you're told to obey, instead of running to the, uh, trying to find the places where you're not supposed to, how about being more worried about your attitude and obeying it, right? they would be like teenagers go, but mom and dad, I don't have to always obey you, right? You, what you're hoping is that they're looking for, how can I obey, not how can I get out from obeying? So the Christmas story takes place there. There's some other authorities that that the Bible speaks of. Parental authority. Oh, nobody likes that one. Children are supposed to do what? Obey their parents. Now, Christian parents love to tell Christian kids that they must obey them, but those same Christian parents sometimes are not very obedient to civil authority or to pastoral authority or to any other authority. Right? So that's Ephesians 6 1 if you need to write it down. Oh, there, there's also a responsibility to authority. Where else? You've got civil authority, you've got parental authority. There's another one. But there's another one. Within marriage, wives submit. Do wives like that? Okay. If they tell you they do, they're lying to you, okay? All right, okay. You're gullible. No, they don't like it, okay? Nobody likes it, okay? All right? Yeah, in church, you're supposed to say, of course, oh, pastor, it's my greatest joy to submit to my husband. It's my greatest joy. Okay, all right, whatever. Until he tells you something you don't like. Exactly. Isn't it weird how how obedience to authority works? We obey until we don't like. The, the church preached forever. Romans 13, obey. Oh, wait, no, 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 not now, not now, no, 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 Okay, yeah, okay, whatever, okay. It, it's, it's not, it, it's, it's, it's easy to obey something you like. The real test is when you have to obey something you don't. What's another area of uh, authority we're supposed to submit to? We've got civil authority, parental authority, within marriage. There's two more. Oh, actually, we gets put three more. I, I, I don't even believe in pastoral authority anymore. I've given that up. So I don't even th- I don't, I'm not even going to address that because I think that's just pretend. Okay? But, okay, but there's two others. Servants, obey your masters. Now, that gets into lots of controversy about Christianity and about slavery and uh, things I hate. But it definitely is applicable to you as an employee obeying your employer. And do you always like doing that? No. No. Okay. I can't say I was always good at doing that. All right? It's, it's, it's funny. Sometimes the parent goes off to work, doesn't handle themselves very well at work, and then comes back home and tells the kid, you will submit to me! Okay? Right? It's, no, we, we have to always focus on our, our problem with authority before we worry about everyone else's problem with our authority. Amen? Or me? Okay, and then there's one more. I won't. I'm not even going to mention pastoral authority because in the Protestant world, I just that's just just to me, yeah, don't even get me started on that. Obedience to God. Okay, right? <laughs> Obedience to God. But I cannot stress this enough. I, why do I mention that last? Because if you have oh, problems with obeying all the other. Your real issue is obedience to God. Everyone who acts like a two-year-old about everything going on with the pandemic, it's because you don't want to obey God because all earthly authority is appointed by whom? So who is Joseph obeying? Who is Joseph obeying? God. I, should, I wish I, I should play the, the voice memo I got from, uh, from Kate because she's, you know, she's working on American Airlines and flight attendants have been assaulted, they've been attacked, they've been spat at, just crazy stuff. So this guy comes on the flight Okay, all about a mask because man, you know, wearing a mask is the end of the world. That's you know, burn the constitution and and I don't know. We're 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 back in Rome. We're being taken to the Colosseum and fed to the lions because there's a mask requirement. What? How dare you do that? Okay, but so this, she walks by and there's this gentleman wearing some something on his face. Not not in any way classifies what you're supposed to wear. And she's like, "Hey, you've got to put a mask on." He's like, "Look what I've got." And he's like, "That doesn't qualify." He's like, "Yes, it does." And I'm like, "No, it doesn't." Yes, it does. And again, the adult acting like a two-year-old, right? It, it, it qualifies. She's like, "No, it doesn't." You got to go. You go show me the rule, and, and I'll, I'll 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 follow it. So she walks away, looks up the rule, comes right back and says, and he's like, "I'm, I'm not going to look. Not going to look. I'm not going to look like a two-year-old. I'm not going to look." He's like, "Just leave me alone and let me enjoy the flight." And so Kate said, well, you're not going to enjoy the flight because you're not going to be on the flight unless you follow the rules. Okay. I'd I, Like a two-year-old. The other day, I was at the doctor's office to get my labs drawn. I'm in there. You walk to the hospital. There's signs everywhere. Mask required. I put on my mask. I go in. I'm sitting in the lab, just waiting. Here comes a guy walking in. dum do dum No mask. And they're like, you need a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. You need a mask. I'm not wearing a mask. And he starts raising his voice. So they have to call hospital security. He gets into a physical altercation with the hospital. They have to call the cops. He gets drug out in handcuffs, yelling and screaming, I'm not wearing a mask because it gets to the Constitution. And I'm just like, yeah. And so I just stand up and clap when he gets. There you go, man. Ooh. You showed them. You're fighting for for our our rights. That's all ridiculous. Christianity, Christmas, it takes place in a story about someone submitting to civil authority. Probably didn't like it. Christianity is all about that. Nobody likes it. Everybody likes Christianity. And and when you hear American Christians go, we've got to stand up for our rights. We've got to fight for our rights. What rights are you talking about? Christianity is deny self, die to self, and put others before yourself. So what rights do you want to fight? Stop listening to Fox News and pick up a Bible. Oh, that makes people mad, but it's just, you, you're, you're throwing out political rhetoric. You're not throwing out scripture. The Christmas story is about obedience to authority. Mary and Joseph was obeying whom? God. All resistance to authority is resistance to God because there's no authority other than the ones God appointed. Now, am I saying there's never a time to disobey? I'm not saying that. But everybody wants to run to the exceptions. Right? Everybody wants the exception. And then they're like, okay, wait, wait, wait. If I, if I divide by two and I, and I bring over the three and I do some, I don't know what kind of math. I, oh, there we go. I have an exception. I figured it out. I can get out of this. I'm like, okay, I don't know what you just did, but that's the mo- That's not hermeneutics. It's probably mathematics, which is satanic. You probably use mathematics to find your exemption clause, but that, it didn't work that way. Does that make sense? Right? So there's the first thing I see that I just think is, I just, I find it fascinating. Now, when I, did, when I talked about this in the Bible study exercise this week, I got email after email going, oh, no, 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 you don't follow the, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, just, you can't even mention, because I called it a mandate, and everybody lost their minds, because, no, 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 we don't follow mandates. Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot, I forgot, I forgot. We don't follow any earthly mandates. None. None. Just break any law you want. Just go to California, run into the, a store in the middle of the day with a hammer, smash the glass, take everything you want. That's probably a Christian activity today, right? They're like, no, that's taking it too far. Well, you get, it, isn't it amazing? It's only taking it too far when you decide which rules should be followed and which rules shouldn't. So what we really want is we want to be what? God. God. Christmas stories about us not being... God. Alright. Second, what happens in Luke 2 6? I'm gonna to have to have you help me with the rest. Luke 2 6. What happens in Luke 2 6? She delivered, right? She gave birth. Now I'm no expert, but I, I have heard rumors that it's painful. Or oh, am I, oh, everybody's looking at me like, really? I, I've never heard this. I, I, I hear that, okay. Am I, am, I, am I accurate or no? No, no. Okay, it's not painful, okay. I guess if you have drugs, she didn't have any drugs. Okay, now, we can, we can gloss it over, but it was a painful experience. That, that kind of takes away a little bit of the Hallmark vibe. There's pain. She maybe even yelled, Right? Possibly. She may have raised her voice. We don't know. But there was pain. I, I get, now, you could go with the Gnostic idea that basically Jesus just came out of her like light and there was no pain, and, but that t- t- re- destroys the humanity of Jesus. He was delivered like any other baby, which requires pain. Now, why do I mention that? Because sometimes we think as Christians that the Christian life is not a painful life, but it is. All right? we right, we're gonna, Jesus said that in this world we would have what? Trial, tribulation. Right? John chapter 16, verse 33. 1 Peter 4.12 talks about trial and test. And I want you to just realize this. The Christian life is a painful life for one very important reason. And I want to mention this one. Because in Matthew chapter 16... We are told to deny self, die to self, and not follow self. If you don't think that's painful, it's painful. Anytime you have to deny yourself, you have to die to yourself, that is a painful thing. We, 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 too much of Christianity wants to remove the pain of life. Christianity does not remove the pain of life. Christians die, Christians get sick, Christians suffer in all kinds of ways. Christianity is not an escape from pain. In fact, the minute you, in a quote-unquote, sign up for Christianity, the minute you become a Christian, now your whole life is die to self. Dying to self is not a pleasant experience. Taking up your cross is not a pleasant experience. There is pain within Christianity. Right? Does everybody got that? So what's the first thing we see? Responsibility to authority. Second, we see pain. Third, what happens in Luke 2.7? Luke 2.7. I'm going to try to go through as many of these as I can. Okay. Well, we have a setting, but we'll, where, where is the setting? A manger. Right. Wrapped in. Sweating clothes. Right. In a manger. Now, immediately when you see that, that's not a glorious place. Yes. It's not the place you think a king would be born. It's nothing glamorous. It's nothing glorious. It's kind of what? Lowly. What's the word? There we go. All right. Another major part of Christianity is humility. The whole point of Philippians 2, when it talks about Jesus, what does it say? Him being the form of God. Right? That did not be robbery to be equal with God, but what did he, what did he do? He made himself, came in the form of a servant. He humbled himself. That's the eternal son of God laying in a manger and swaddling clothes. That's the most from a human perspective, the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Here's the creator of the world, now as a little baby, having to be cared for, who's going, to be, who's going to be gossiped about, lied about, people are going to try to kill him, and then ultimately they're going to spit on him, abuse him, and crucify him, and he does that not for his benefit, but to save us. That's the kind of humility that Christmas is about. It's about us humbling ourselves, placing other people before ourselves, and not exalting ourselves and making it all about us. But sadly, before Christmas is over, it tends to become about us. We have to humble ourselves. There, there should be humility in the Christmas story. Humility in the Christmas So what's the three things we got so far? Authority. Pain, humility. Then Luke 2.11. What do you have in Luke 2.11? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Christianity, Christmas is about salvation. It is about salvation. They called his name Jesus because he would save his people from their sins, right? Now, we could talk about how that is possibly a reference to Israel there, but that's a whole. we won't get into that whole subject right now. But, yes, it's about salvation. And then we could look at all the scriptures that talk about salvation. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Christmas is about salvation. It's not about some warm feeling you get sitting next to the fire, you know, doing whatever you're doing next to the fire. It's not about that. Okay? It's not about sleigh bells. It's not about snow. It's not about family. It's not about food. It's about a Savior was born, a Savior to save you from from your sins. Now we say, everyone will say amen to that, but you know how quickly we lose that? We're not like, oh, I get to celebrate my Savior. Oh no, I get to celebrate family and time off from work and all these other things. It's not... It, because we're just human beings. It's going to happen. But we need to remember that it's about a Savior being born. Someone to save us from our sins. And it's so easy to forget that. When make I I, it, If you remove all of the trappings of, of Christmas, no lights, no presents, no family, no food, it's just... This is the day that Christ was born. That should be all that you need, because that's when your Savior was born to save you from this very sin that should send you to an eternity separated from Him. Right? That, that, I know that's not as exciting as a Hallmark movie, but it, it, it should be. Okay. All right. Number uh, f- uh, five. What happens in Luke two ten? And the angel, oh, go back to verse 8. And there were in the same uh, country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, fear not. Christmas is about the absence of fear, but it's the absence of fear of what? What are we not to fear now as a Christian? There's two things we're not to fear. Okay, okay, that's a good one. We'll do that in a we second, We're not to fear condemnation. The fact that I am in Christ Jesus, therefore there is now no condemnation. I don't have to fear condemnation. I don't have to fear judgment. I don't have to fear hell. Fear is removed in Christ. What else are we not to fear? Someone said it. We're not to fear death. Death, where is thy sting? Where is the victory? It belongs to whom? Christ Jesus. There's no more to fear death because now we are guaranteed an eternity in heaven. So, so it's the absence of fear. Uh, what, what happens in Luke 2? What else is mentioned in Luke 2.10? Two, uh, two it says, fear not. Joy. Now, there is this sense of joy in Christmas, but it's not the joy the world tells us about. The joy Christmas the world wants is, is some feeling that you get from your surroundings or from your circumstances. This is the joy that we find where? Not in circumstances, not in our blessings, but in the Savior that was born. The joy is in our salvation, that's where the joy is to be found, not in all the trappings that the world yells for us to have, all right? And then just one more. Uh, we could go through the whole text. There's so much here I could pull out from the text. I have like ten or more. Okay, uh, Luke two fifteen. I'll just jump down to two fifteen real quick. What happens in Luke two fifteen? I'll read it. Luke chapter two verse fifteen. Because that silence tells me everybody's looking at going to have no idea um well there's a, a lot here we could go here, and it came to pass the angels were uh, gone away into heaven the shepherds uh wondered okay well actually i'm going to skip that one we're going to skip that one because that's another that's another one I was going to to use, but we won't use that one let's go let's just start back in eight and there uh and there were in the same country shepherds abiding uh In the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day the city of David, a Saviour, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory uh, to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. Christmas is also a time of peace. And what peace do we have? We have peace with God because now there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And we can experience the peace of God, but the peace of God is not based off circumstances. It's based on the fact that we have peace with God that should bring us the peace of God. Because we don't have to fear condemnation. We don't have to fear judgment. Now, there's more here in this whole text. There's more here. I'll just end with this, all right? I'll just end with this. If you look at the story, Luke chapter 2. Verse 19, after all of these things happen, they've obeyed, she's had the pain, there's been the shepherds, there's been the angels, all of these things have happened. Verse 19, Luke 2, 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. As Christians, we need to ponder what actually happened in the Christmas story and try our best To take all of that stuff that everyone says Christmas is supposed to be about and just ignore it and forget it. it, I'm not saying you can't enjoy it. I'm not saying it can't be fun. But it creates a feeling of what it's supposed to be that I'm sorry. I think in most cases it will never live up to that. And then you end up depressed or discouraged. Or it will so distract you that you will end up missing Jesus. You need to ponder what the story is really about. Look at what, what really happens. There's pain. There's submission to authority. There, there's those things. That's what it's about. You don't, you don't get those things from a Hallmark movie or from you know, the department store playing Christmas music. Okay, it, 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 You don't get that because someone at Target said Merry Christmas. Okay. And if they don't say Merry Christmas, then Christians lose their mind because how dare they don't say Merry Christmas to us, which is just, again, another ridiculous thing. The war on Christmas! The war on Christmas! Another thing that Christians bought into from the conservative world instead of just saying there is no war on Christmas because who cares if the world says Merry Christmas? It's not their job, is it? No. What we need to focus on is the actual thing that happens in the Christmas story. You see, we get distracted by everything. It's just so crazy what Christians get so wrapped up in in this time of year. There's the story. Those are the basic elements, right? They obey, right? There's pain. There's all of those things that take place, right? There's the idea, don't fear. There's a savior. There's peace. There's joy. But it's all wrapped up in what Christ came to do, which is to save us. All of the, when we try to find peace, joy, and all of these things, or an absence of fear in things related to the world, it takes us away from what the story is all about. It's about that babe born in a manger who was sent to save us from our sins. That's where we find peace. That's where we find joy. That's where we find the absence of fear. That's where we realize that we're supposed to deny ourselves, humble ourselves, that we're willing to submit ourselves to authority even when we don't want to. Because we die to self. And if you're dead to self, there's nothing to submit to because you're dead, right? You don't, there's nothing to, re, you, you don't rebel because you're dead. Maybe we, I, I know this is going to sound wrong. We need more dead Christians. I know that's going to sound really messed up. It's going to be, now I've got to be all over the internet. He just called for Christians to die. Well, I did, but not a physical death, but to die to ourselves we got too many Christians who are alive yelling and screaming about their rights, their wants, their will, all the things we've been talking about, and the story destroys all of that. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. We've done so much damage to this story that I don't even know what to say other than we're sorry. But we thank you that it's always there to remind us what really happened and what we can learn from it. And I pray we would take that with us this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...